On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, Christians should not shoot their own, but they should slap them occasionally. Hard. (laughs) I've never seen someone get burned at the stake, but there are times when I think I would probably sympathize with the guy in the black hood holding the match, and not cool, Ronnie Floyd, not cool. Oh, it's a bonus episode. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor of Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. Bonus episode is dedicated to whistleblowers. Whistleblowers, I say, because you know what, guys? Sometimes enough is enough. Some people... You know, they, they call themselves whistleblowers, but they're just opportunists. You know, they're trying to profiteer from the circumstances or whatever, turn a buck on it. But I'm talking about the people who have the real courage to say something first when it might cost them something, when there's a power differential. We appreciate you guys, and we uh, we thank all of the whistleblowers that have risked things to expose darkness uh, when it's likely that it's, it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt you. So anyway, we're going to be talking about a lot of that today. So thanks to people with uh, courage because, you know, Sometimes it seems a little bit rare. So let's get into some Proverbs. Here we go. I'm itching to go. Bearded Beaver, you itching to go? Oh, yeah. Let's do this. Proverbs 11.1. A false balance is an abomination to Yahweh, but a just weight is his delight. All right. So this makes perfect sense, right? We all know this. Like inside of all of us is this cry for justice and for fairness and things like that and from kids even i mean one of the most common things that you hear is no fair no fair they they seem to have this like innate sense of fair play so the question is where does that come from right as sinners our sense of fairness gets kind of like skewed and slanted in a selfish direction so we want you know our well-being over fairness and that's why we oppress that's why we steal that's you know that's why we do all these messed up things but even then If you listen to people justify that activity, they usually speak in terms of balancing the scales at some point. It's like, hey, man, the strong eat the weak. That's the way it goes. And what this means is I'm strong, they're weak, and so I'm acting in accordance with what what is natural and therefore right in the world. When they say, hey, man, life isn't fair. And this means the same thing. It means the cosmic machine works a certain way, and I'm just occupying my place on the scales, so this is right. And so it's a justification for it. They might say, You don't know what I've been through. And this is a claim of being oppressed and that justifying becoming the oppressor, right? Balancing the scales. Sometimes people will say it's for the greater good. And what this means is, well, sure, this is a a negative on the scale, but it will balance out in the end and even slant towards the positive. So all this has to do with justice and balance. And even when people are committing injustice, they will justify it with the language of justice, fair play, equity. But... Even when it's distorted, they're still on that subject, right? Reasoning on the basis of the scale. So why is this scale so ingrained in our psyche? And it's because we're made in the image of God. That's that's why no one ever says, yep, it's unfair and I love it. There's no justification for it and that's how I want it. Nobody talks that way. Uh, Interesting movie, um, The The Dark Knight. The, The Dark Knight is an interesting like philosophical case study because the Joker in that Batman movie, he's advocating for chaos, he's advocating for randomness and brutal anarchy, but look at how much time he spends justifying it and explaining his worldview. 
He's like he's he's a he's an evangelist for his rationale and why it's right. And so the whole thing is an effort to balance the scales. Where does that come from? Even the Joker with that jacked up face of his is made in the image of God. So look at how many times God says this. All right. Back to Proverbs 11.1. A false balance is an abomination to Yahweh, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20 verse 10. Differing weights and measures. Both of them are an abomination to Yahweh. Proverbs 20.23. Differing weights are an abomination to Yahweh and a false scale is not good. Back to the law of Moses. Leviticus 19.35. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measurement of weight or capacity. Deuteronomy 25, you shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and a just weight. You shall have a full and a just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives to you. For everyone who does the things, who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to Yahweh your God. Lastly, Micah 6 Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is full of deceit in their mouth. And this brings us to the issue of this bonus episode. The Southern Baptist Convention, of which, by the way, this church, Grace and Truth Community, is a participating member. Basically, there have been some men in leadership of the SBC that have been committing great evils. And thankfully, and I do mean thankfully, in all caps, thankfully, that has come to light. And so now we got to go to Anaheim and we got to deal with it. (laughs) Did I say North Korea? I'm sorry, I meant Anaheim. Uh, We have to deal with it because it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Amen. Right? So, Pastor Ben, let me let me have you uh, do us a solid here. Can you read Proverbs 11? We read verse 1. Can you read all of verses 1 through 10? Because there's a lot of themes here that we're going to see surface again and again as we discuss this. Will do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Proverbs 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. When a wicked man dies... His expectation will perish, and the hope of strong men perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. Oh, man. All right, so here's what we got going on, guys. Um, let me give you a little background. Last year, we uh, we went down to Nashville. We took some folks to Nashville for the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention because there were some shenanigans going on ideologically uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we were like, yo, not cool. So there were things like um, uh, godless and, and necessarily atheistic uh, Marxist lines of thinking that 
elements in the Southern Baptist Convention were like, hey, these are valid interpretive tools, and that was their language. These are valid interpretive tools, and so we need to be able to speak in these terms and include it in our training and in our policies and things like that. And uh, some of us were like, heck no, you don't. We need we don't take anything from the Gentiles. The Bible has already spoken to all of this stuff, and we don't need to dip into uh, uh, godless philosophies in order to explain the world around us. Christ has spoken. The Holy Spirit moving through holy men written, have written the scriptures and has spoken, right? So we went down there to kind of knock heads uh, around that issue. And that, that was a whole separate, you know, whole separate deal. I, I put it like a 45-minute, you know, uh, YouTube video up kind of uh, explaining what happened down there when I got back from that. One of the things that happened, though, because there were a lot of issues going on. It wasn't just the critical race theory being, you know, uh, making an effort to be inculcated into Southern Baptist life. Another thing that happened was that back in 2017 or 2018, I forget, uh, the Houston Chronicle released a a report that um, there had been a lot of sexual abuse over uh, over some decades in Southern Baptist churches that was not properly reported. Some of it wasn't properly dealt with. Some of it wasn't dealt with at all. And some of it was, uh, you know, dealt with quietly, but not properly reported. And because of that, the abusers could hop from church to church and kind of, you know, fly under the radar. And so they brought it out, which is exactly what they should have done. And I'm very thankful that happened. Um, and SBC leadership, I felt like at the time, and I still feel like this in a lot of ways, they they dealt with that very well. The response once that information came to light was really helpful. They came out with all kinds of you know free uh, training that was pretty darn good too, uh, in terms of how to look out for these things in your church, how to respond to them, and stuff like that. Because you know pastors are spending a lot of time on pastoral issues. We don't uh, we don't necessarily enter pastoral ministry as experts in issues of sexual abuse and predators and things like that. But those guys are out there. So you got to, you got to learn quick. Right. And so they put out some good stuff to help and respond. So we were down in Nashville last year and somebody got up and asked a question of Ronnie Floyd, who's the chairman of the executive committee. And the executive committee is kind of like, um, uh, the, they're sort of the, uh, the, the board of directors for the Southern Baptist convention. They power the purse. They, you know, pull a lot of triggers and things like that. So Ronnie Floyd's up there. He wasn't on stage yet, but somebody asked, are there other allegations of sexual abuse that you guys have not made public? And he, he leans over, somebody whispers something in his ear. We assume it was his lawyer. And he, um, he kind of nods and gets up and walks to the middle of the stage where there's a microphone, big, huge stage. And he says to this question, you know, are there other allegations you guys have not made public? He says, to my knowledge, no. And then he turns and he walks back to his seat. And guys, there were 20,000 people in this room, in this convention center. It was massive. And you could have heard a pin drop. I heard a fly fart in the far corner of the room. <laughs> Sorry, old, old studio term there. Uh, the, but it was it was awkward, and people were like, what just happened here? So there was a, uh, there was a motion that somebody had already drafted, and they brought it forward. They said, uh, I want to propose that we have a third-party investigation of any allegations for the from the executive committee or that the executive committee has received and we want it done by an outside entity and every hand in that room went up we were like yes find out what's going on investigate those guys because that was nothing short of shady so and if i can interject the executive committee fought that every way they could until it got brought to the messengers so yeah before that the the issue had gotten brought up and they they said yeah not our thing and not what we're going to do so then yeah the messengers the twenty thousand people i guess fifteen thousand of them were were messengers um and they uh they they moved for that and got voted in and so then this third party entity gets formed and and guidepost gets hired and, and they do the investigation 
So, and, and the executive committee fought that too. They were hiding behind attorney client privilege for a yep. while. And then finally they, they gave that up. Um, so anyway, the investigation got done and the report just dropped last week and we are here to talk about it. Now, the reason we're doing a bonus episode is because we've got episodes recorded. We, we tend to record these episodes in clusters sometimes. And so we've got them recorded out for quite a while, but we wanted, we wanted, uh, you guys, because this is in the news, we wanted you guys to hear about it sooner. Cause this is kind of our world. We're wrapped up in this, uh, as, as an SBC church. And so we wanted to get this out to you, uh, maybe to answer some questions or maybe raise questions that should be getting asked and answered. Plus, you know, now I got to get on a plane and go to Anaheim with a couple of our people. And, uh, this episode wouldn't do a whole lot of good probably after that. So, all right. So pastor Ben, why don't you run us through it? Um, basically, I mean, take it wherever you want it, but what did the report show? Give us the rundown. Yeah. So the report, there's, there is breathe. Yeah. There is very little good in the report. It is not a pleasant thing to read. It's available. You can find it online if you would like to. 280 pages of yeah. absolutely grueling gut punches. And and to be honest, you can probably skip through a good chunk of that just by reading the executive summary. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read a paragraph from um, Guideposts, who is the organization that did this third-party investigative reporting and to my knowledge as i read it it seems it's legit it's not yeah. it's not okay hey we're just kind of we're kind of you know coming alongside and and uh and and trying to help cover up something this there, is like guidepost is outside the good old boys network exactly which i think needs to be burnt down but that's yep. a whole another whole another thing all right so this is what they said and to quote this is the second paragraph of the executive summary our investigation revealed that for many years a few Executive committee leaders, along with outside counsel, largely controlled the executive committee's response to these reports of abuse. They closely guarded information about abuse allegations and lawsuits, which were not shared with executive committee trustees, and were singularly focused on avoiding liability for the SBC to the exclusion of other considerations. In service of this goal, survivors and others who reported abuse were ignored, disbelieved, or met with constant refrain, with the constant refrain that the SBC could take no action due to its polity, in other words, how the organization is, is, is run, regarding church autonomy, even if it meant that convicted child molesters continued in ministry with no notice, no notice or warning to their ch- current church or Congregation, and that's the paragraph that is just it. Just is a gut punch to to yeah. think that 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 what they discovered was that the leadership, in particular, of the executive committee, which again they're supposed to steward the Southern Baptist Convention while the convention is not in play, and yet they sought to limit liability, which. I understand you, 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 you know, there, there's, we live in a litigious society, but against all other considerations. Um, furthermore, there were discoveries of various people within SBC leadership that were guilty of, of uh, sexual assault and covering it up. One of them may or may not have been a president of the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention. Um, other other things such as, uh, you know, and again, we talk about this good old boys network, but there seemed to be a pattern of protecting people who were guilty of abuse and yet still receiving even um, letters of recommendation 
for other ministry and other pastors who were slow to go after abuse allegations as a result of some kind of concern for the abuser, for the predator, versus the victims and other potential and actually other future victims that this predator would have access to. So there's there's a lot in this report. It is not pretty. It oh, is, they, they published the emails. Yeah. They showed it all. Yes. Man. I mean, even even to the point of where there uh, there's a couple um, instances where we may get into, we may not, where where women who brought allegations of abuse, again, of people who were high up in, in, in Southern Baptist circles, you know, uh, professors at a seminary or anything like that, they were called Potiphar's wife. In other words, saying that, you know, they're like Potiphar's wife, that Potiphar made a, made a, a false allegation against Joseph. And so they're calling these, these women inside of the executive committee and inside of the, uh, um, the uh, administrative offices and stuff referring to these individuals as false accusers. Yeah, and they, they were referring to them as uh, uh, agents of Satan, yes. de- demonically empowered, yeah. divisive uh, wolves, things like yeah. that. I mean, these these are abuse victims, or yeah. at least at least claimants of you know uh, um, victimhood of abuse. They were saying, "I have been abused by somebody," and rather than getting investigated or looked at, you know, they yeah. would just write the ladies off. And and in this investigation, you know these, you know at least the instances that were brought up in the report, and there's two major ones, and then there's a number of other ones. There's probably actually there's technically there's three major ones that were going on. Um, they these these women they had credible credible um, there, there's evidence all over the place for this. Um, there's instances of again the, the the executive committee using the publishing arm of the executive committee, the Baptist Press, which is which in some ways is a, again can be a misnomer because it really is the publishing arm of the executive committee, but at least it feels in its naming like it's more of an independent organization. It's yeah, not. Maybe we'll get into that structurally yeah. just because there are some problems there that cause these things yeah. these problems to hide. But they that the, the executive committee had had editorial power over articles that were exposing this type of abuse. And they exercised that editorial power, which created a, a situation where, where one of the women claiming to have been abused, she lost her job as a result of it. She had her reputation tarnished. This is a woman who had no, she was in a position of, she was assaulted. She was abused by a predator. And this organization cared more about the the organization and or the predator than they did for the abuse victim. That one yeah, that that one was particularly insidious because they they said they said, "Okay, well here's what we're going to do. We will allow you to write up a statement and then we'll go ahead and put it out." And that they were trying to kind of, you know, make amends meet her halfway whatever. So they take her statement and uh, about sexual assault and sexual misconduct and they uh they redacted any references to uh, non-consensual activity so it looked like a consensual relationship and she got labeled as a whore and then nobody in she was working for a southern baptist institution and it tarnished her reputation with them she was no longer morally qualified in the eyes of her employers to work there lost her job right because they changed the report yeah so which again it goes to the point of uh, how are we as an institution allowing people to come forward if we're saying no we're going to go ahead and tarnish your reputation so that we can still 
protect the organization yeah. or protect these individuals. You can report us, but we, we're going to edit the article where you do it. Like, Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Okay. So you did mention that there were a couple of, a couple of positive things. I, I can think of two. All right. Um, that were, they were in the report. One is that this is, um, this is a small handful of guys and the, there were a lot of people that in finding out about, there were a lot of people in positions of power that in finding out about this, um, reacted well I'll, I'll tell you and i have not run low on disagreements with some of these guys in the past mm-hmm. but um like one guy that i i thought uh a very came out in a very positive light was jd greer agreed um when he found out about some of these structural issues like well hey guys this is this is a bad way to run things when he came in as the spc president he basically said um Hey, this is a bad way to run things because these processes would allow for these abuses. Now, there's no indication that he knew about the cover-ups at the time. He was just coming in, and all of already he was flipping over tables and saying, um, "We can't be running things that way." And he got pushed, and and he got you know sidelined, and and uh, procedural points were brought out in order to keep him from making the changes he wanted to make. So he kind of did basically did these end arounds to say, no, we need transparency here. So I really, really appreciate that big fat shout out to JD Greer for not screwing around with, uh, with this kind of stuff. And the other thing that came out that was positive or the other, the other people that came out as uh, looking positive to me were the other members of the executive committee. I did not realize this, that there's 86, is that the right number? 86 Something trustees like on, on the, uh, the executive committee. And we're talking about five or six guys. The rest of them were, when they were interviewed for this report, they were like, yeah, dude, there there were settlements happening in court. We didn't even know about them, let alone did we know the amounts. Like, we're supposed to know this stuff. That's stuff that you got to tell us. And so this small handful of people, um, you know, they they did really do awful things. And we'll go ahead and get into detail about it. But the question comes up like, okay, is this something where we just need to burn the whole SBC down? Like, you know, is it time to just flip over tables and say this is no longer a valid entity for facilitating ministry? Or is it that there are five or six heads at the top that need to roll in a professional sense. Right. And it, it did come across as, you know, we've used the analogy before and I didn't come up with this, but um, uh, you know, is this stage one cancer or stage four cancer? And it's, it's at least a valid discussion now because there are still a lot of guys that, that did operate with integrity or were just simply in the dark and doing the best that they, that they could. So that's good. The, 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 the positive thing I think on the meta level is that we, we put this out. Right? And to me, that's the difference between what happened with the Catholic sexual abuse scandal uh, scandals over the years versus this one was it was kind of the grassroots of the Southern Baptist messengers and the pastors of the churches and things like that that were like, we want this information out there and we we published it. Right. And so that's really, really important because that means that there's there, there's a culture underneath uh, these abuses that uh, and these cover-ups that could actually very easily, and we might do it in a couple of weeks in Anaheim, could turn the tide on this stuff so that this, these problems don't get repeated. Um, that means that the the structural issues might be fixable. Yes. So we got to find out, but it's a big fat maybe, and yeah. it's possible. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, right? The transparency of all of these things. And there's a number of things where where we've where we've looked at, uh, you know, both uh, financial numbers and things like that, where things aren't necessarily transparent, right? And I think that that we as an organization, if we're you know a part of the SBC, we need to fight for that kind of transparency because sin likes to hide in, in generalities; it likes to hide in the darkness. We want to bring it out. Let's just be clear about all of this. Um, I, I think another 
Another thing that I thought was really good that came out of this report was just even how certain certain individuals did handle areas of of abuse. I was thinking of just, uh, you know, and I admit I'm a flag waver in some respects for Al Mohler, but I really appreciated <laughs> what he did in his organization by having very clear and frank conversations with the victim and saying, you know, hey, thank you. You're, you know, there, there was, it, it was never a, like, let's try and hide this thing or anything like that. It was very clear. It was brought out. It was done organizationally because there was a procedure they had to roll with. And, and legally, that's true. Yeah. And, and ethically as well. You have to yeah. go through a procedure. But they did it and they did it well. I think that is something that um, from, from what I observed as I read the report, I was like, thank God there are people who will conduct themselves with integrity. They're not necessarily going to um, just to, to light a match and throw gasoline on it, they're going to do this well and deconstruct the, uh, using that particular word, deconstruct this whole thing and figure out what is going on and then accurately and swiftly deal out what is just. Yeah, and if, there, if there's anybody that has a brand to protect, it's Moeller, right? And, and he's got a lot of people's salaries hinging on his integrity and public image and things like that. And so it would have been tempting for him to cover these things up too. And there's no indication that he did anything yeah. except acted in integrity. So shout out to Dr. Moeller for that. Yeah, so I think it's important. You know, we mentioned it. I'm thankful it's come to light. Look, sin hides in darkness. I'm glad this is out. It is not. I'm not glad that the these results were there. <laughs> But I am glad that it came out. You were going to read something, bro. Second Corinthians 4.2. I, I quote this all the time. All the time, we say. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, he's talking there about evangelism and, and hiding the gospel and things like that. But when you talk about adulterating the word of God and, and hiding shameful things, that is exactly what some of these guys have done. And the fact that that it has been that that methodology has now been renounced on a mass scale inside of the SBC is is a good thing. So yeah. we just need to shout that out. You know, and, and again, you know, I, we're, I'm also glad for the ones who brought it to light. I Come want to be now. really clear. There's a there's a young woman named Jennifer Lyle who was abused by a professor at a Southern Baptist seminary. And that's professor is now, I'm not even going to mention his name. Um, maybe, maybe we can, if we want, Go ahead, but, dude, it's in the report, but it, I think it was David Sills. Is that right? Or Daniel Sills. Um, he was, a, was that the guy at Southern? The, the Mueller yeah, had a deal the guy with? at Southern. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and this Jennifer Lyle, she was abused by him and she came out and she fought for years and we do have to be careful here just to say, because I don't know what all the legalities are of this. There was an accusation that he abused her, and it was a, it was credible enough that investigation was warranted, and the investigation was not done. So I didn't do the investigation to say the abuse happened or it didn't. The problem is they did not deal with the allegation. Yeah. So Jennifer, is in her this, this woman's reputation was tarnished by, uh, the, by this, the executive committee, frankly, um, and, and she is a, she has a righteous cause and there was, I mean, one, one of the things that frustrates me as I look at both, both as a victim of, of abuse and I, and I, that's, that's in my history, but that, that there is some kind of assignment of, of guilt or on the party who is abused that, and, and that is, I don't know if that's internal or if that's just protectionism or whatever it was, but she was not wrong. She was not sinful in what happened to her and yet she was treated as such for so many years and so to clear this woman's reputation jennifer 
you probably will never listen to this, but Jennifer Lyle is not wrong in what she did. She's not opportunistic. She was seeking to essentially get justice and to protect the SBC, and not protect the SBC as an organization, but to protect the testimony of Christ. Witness. Exactly. And so um, I am thankful for her and what she brought out. Yeah, you know, there's... Okay, so the SBC did a thing... The SBC is set up a certain way, right? And it's technically, and I've said this before, it's technically not even a denomination because there's no top-down authority structure. Each church is autonomous. So we, as Grace and Truth, are a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, but they don't tell us what to do. What that means, basically, is we affirm a basic set of doctrinal standards, which is pretty much just the gospel, and we affirm a certain mode of baptism. <laughs> like, you pretty know, much. That's, that's basically all it is. It's very big picture. And we give to certain missions organizations. That's pretty much what holds us together. Um, and so because every church is independent and functions independently, the the larger structure of the Southern Baptist Convention has to be very careful not to violate the autonomy of the local church in a lot of ways. What happened, the, the, the trick that got played here was that these guys uh, in, in power that were covering things up, they said, well, we can't follow up on these investigations and we can't make sure that churches follow up on these investigations because that would violate our polity and it would actually be illegal because in our bylaws, they are, you know, we are not to interfere with the operations of an autonomous local church. So we can't touch it, which uh, is total garbage because power and influence are not the same thing. And one thing that the SBC does have with every local church is influence. They can communicate with us. They, they can offer training. They can offer resources. They can um, tie things together. They can have conferences. They can publish. They can do all sorts of stuff to, to make available. They could even, they could even provide certain levels of accountability. They just wouldn't have the enforcement mechanisms that you would have in maybe a Presbyterian structure or things like that. But they could do their own investigations. They could disassociate churches from fellowship, which is one thing that J.D. Greer did when there was, um, uh, when, when the proof was out that certain churches were not dealing with sexual abuse, he read their names out in public, and then some of them got kicked out of the SBC. They have every ability to do that. And, and then people have been coming up for years saying, hey, can we get like a database of just the credible accusations? Rachel Den Hollander handled this really well, where she said, look, there's a real problem with databases of, of accusations and people who have been accused because how do you authenticate that? And you can just smear a guy's reputation and now he's in a database as, as a sex offender where maybe he wasn't. Maybe it was a false accusation because those things happen. And she lined out on that podcast with Russell Moore, she lined out how you can uh, mitigate those issues and actually have um, only authentic you know, and, and verifiable claims uh, in this database. And so uh, she, and she even said, there's no perfect system, but there's a good one and, and it's out there and it got resisted when people brought it up. They said, can we please have something like this? So that if, if, you know, if I'm hiring a guy from, you know, let's say, you know, he's from Maine, we're on the opposite end of the country. He's from Portland, Maine. We're closer to Portland, Oregon, and we're looking at hiring this guy. Is there somewhere we can go to see if he's ever had allegations of sexual abuse against him? And the the uh, the executive committee's answer was, nope, can't do it because that would violate uh, church autonomy. All no, the while, yeah, and all the while they were keeping a record of that. With, yeah, yeah, because because which they were joking about. By the way, they remember. Did you read that? Well, yeah, you did. You read that email in there where uh, Bodo was that? Yeah, yeah, it's Bodo. Yeah, Bodo was. Uh, 
what was his first name? I keep forgetting. Augie. That's what Augie, it was. Yeah. Augie Bodo. Yeah, he, he was like, yeah, we, we do have a uh, record of sexual abuse allegations. Basically, what we do is we uh, take the headline clippings from newspapers and we stuff them in a drawer somewhere. Ha, ha, ha. It was basically an LOL from a guy that, you know, is too old to write LOL. But it, it, like they were joking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, to, to, and, and they had it. And it, actually, that report has been released um, that that list and the, and the funny thing is is that even when you know, and Rachel Delenhall mentioned this look all we're looking for is all we be looking for is something that's credible okay is it possible that because of the way the legal system runs that an abuser might be able to skate out of an allegation of abuse certainly no perfect system but but as but we can also say okay well I interviewed the abused I interviewed I looked at the evidence and there's a credible allegation right. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's. I think that's legitimate. I think I, I understand. Or you know, the innocent proven guilty do not interchange a charge against an elder unless it's two or three witnesses and all that. I understand that. But when we're talking about abuse and we're talking about a system that has really been working to cover up, I'm not talking about the legal legal system. I'm talking about a, a the system. Shadow, the sha- you, you called it what? Well, actually, it wasn't me. It was uh, uh, on a on another podcast uh, by Joe Thorne, um, Doctrine and Devotion. They they meant, um, his his guest said it's like the SBC almost had like a shadow government. Yeah, there were like six or seven guys with with full time lawyers that have been representing us since 1966, and they know where all the bodies are buried, and they know how to make stuff go away. And you know what was interesting is the minute this report got called for, guess what? All of a sudden, they stopped res- representing us. Really? Yeah. Didn't you read in there? I missed that. Oh yeah, the minute Dude, I'm this sorry. Report, yeah, there were, there was a lot in there. Dude, it's, <laughs> it's 288 pages, folks. So if and and it's possible that some of these details may get mixed up. If you really want to verify it, I would highly encourage you to at least read the executive summary on the front of that. But if you feel like you want to dive into the details, there are a lot. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, they go into some detail. So it's, again, it's not safe for kids. And tell them about you, the Johnny Hunt thing. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Johnny Hunt. It, it was. This is this is um this is scary. Uh, there was a um, I was actually looking up the information here on Johnny Hunt. He he. So he's this. I mean, Johnny Hunt is is huge in the SBC. He's a pastor. He's got he's written books. He's got he's got his name, or at least he had his name on various SBC buildings. I mean, he was a big guy and a titan he, in the community. Yeah, and then as in 2010, as a president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he there's there is credible evidence according to guideposts that he literally it was, it was I don't know if it was a I don't I tried to really not read this the all of the all of the details but it was whether he attempted a sexual assault upon a, a wife of another pastor. Yeah, so the the allegation was yeah. that he actually followed through that he committed a sexual assault. If I read yeah. it right, yes. that he committed a sexual assault against this pastor's wife. Yeah. And then and then it got hidden it got and 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 yet there were and there were biblical there was a counselor brought in who was misinformed and was working with the pastor and his wife from the standpoint of she had had some kind of illicit affair versus having been a victim of an assault and so then the pastor joined his wife and came forward to report these things through official channels and it got buried because Johnny Hunt is royalty and you can't touch him or whatever but yeah and so again and i really appreciated how the report handled it it said we we did not investigate whether the sexual assault actually happened we didn't have the ability to do to do that in our scope but 
we looked at the allegations and there were credible, the, the allegations were credible enough that they needed to be investigated and they were not. And then they said, they said Johnny Hunt's allegations or uh, Johnny Hunt's uh, defense was deemed not credible. <laughs> so they basically got as close as they could to saying, you know, something went down. It wasn't good. This guy needs to get dealt with. And he wasn't, he was protected. They circled the wagons. Yeah. And, 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 and again, to be fair, again, nothing's been brought to a legal court and that's fine. But I think as, as, as pastors, as, we, we need to be held to a higher standard than just whether or not something legally went through the system. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're hiding behind ungodly courts and that, that's one of the things that, um, that struck me about this whole thing was that the, these guys, the shadow government, I love that term. I'm just going to grab it. The, the shadow government was dealing with things on the basis of legal liability. So their, their whole, their whole issue was financial and it was legal. What is our level of exposure in these situations. And so it's like first Corinthians six is really clear. You know, you do not take your brother to court. You don't go to ungodly courts to, to adjudicate matters of the kingdom of God. And when the whole, the the whole function of these guys who are some of whom are drawing salaries, right? Many of whom are drawing salaries. And I would assume comfortable ones because they keep doing it as a career. So when, when their whole structure of operation is based on money and the world's law on, on what basis are they even legitimately doing ministry? Right. So it, it was just this whole, like this whole slimy feeling that I got when I read the thing, it was just like, man, that's, that's where some of our contributions have gone. And that was a gut punch for me because you know, you and me, I mean, we're, we're pastors, right? We got, we have decision-making ability within certain parameters of where these donations go. And some of them have gone there and we didn't know this stuff was going on. And so, you know, there's there's an appropriate outrage. Yeah, and and legitimately so. Again, I I like to think of the executive committee as it's almost like if you're a, if you're a um, Lord of the Rings fan, they're the steward of Gondor in that sense, right? The king is away, and they are stewarding what the king rightly owns. And I think of them as when the convention is away, when they're 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 the steward of the day to day appropriation, paying the bills, making sure that that things happen, doing the will of the convention. And one of the things that I saw, which is highly frustrating, was the desire. In this report, there was a consistent pattern of not wanting to do the will of the convention, that they were being held back. Mr. Bodo um, was very, very, uh, I would I would say, as a result of this report, I think that he was highly obstructionistic and attempting to create any kind of safeties or per- safety nets or precautions against um, against sexual abuse in SBC churches. He's drunk on power, man. I, it's crazy. And and then even how and and even how, for example, how the executive committee and some some members of the convention treated those who were addressing sexual abuse, for example, at the Caring Well Conference put on by the ERLC. It look. There were there were a lot of folks that want to mash up the idea of abuse and complementarianism and say anybody who talks about abuse against women is also against complementarianism. I think that's a false dichotomy. So let me just define our yeah. terms here real quick for the uh, the, the new listeners. Yeah. Um, complementarian theology basically says that, uh, which is what we hold to here, it's, it's uh, basically says that 
God created men and women as equally valuable partners in, in the mission of God and to subdue the earth, and yet did not give men and women the same roles in a lot of um, in a lot of areas of life. This is manifestly evident in the fact that you know men don't have babies. Sorry, modern world, uh, men don't have babies, and you know there's just like distinctions written into nature. Complementarians like us, we see those distinctions in the Bible also fleshed out in the church. So for example, um, there's, there's a structure in the home where even though husband and wife, mom and dad are equally valuable before God and equally to be taken care of, it is the husband and the dad that has the final, um, uh, responsibility to answer to God for the situation going on in the home. He's got to answer for the state of his wife and his kids, uh, spiritually, he's got a lot of responsibility there and the buck stops with him. And so because there's a, or alongside the, the final responsibility of, uh, the dad and husband in the home, the, the male headship in the home, we've got uh, male teachers in the church. When you're talking about teaching men, then in First Timothy 2 uh, and you know other places we could go to that we have on other episodes of this podcast, um, what was the episode where we had Kellen on? What number was that? Anyway, we went through the whole thing. So th- that's the way things are in the home. And then in the church, men teach the men. And Paul says, look, I don't want women teaching men. I want I want the men teaching the men. And we're not going to flip up the natural structure that God uh, wrote. And so a complementarian is going to hold to male headship in the home and in, um, uh, in the pastorate as well. And so what you're saying, Ben, and, and fill in the gaps here because I don't want to speak for you. But what you're saying is, the, the allegation is that anytime somebody says, hey, we need to value the word of women when they have a claim of abuse and we need to take these things very seriously, then other people cry feminism and say, oh, you're just trying to elevate women's voices and that's not good complementarian theology, to which we would say, shut up, you chauvinist. Read a Bible once in a while and love your neighbor. What are you, stupid? And we would slap them because sometimes you got to deal with things inside your own camp. What have I left out? I would I would not disagree with that at all. I think that um, the way and and honestly the way that she was treated by a few areas of of the of the SBC. I mean, even even being grouped in with folks that are trying to do damage, and even the idea of of bringing out these allegations that the that, that the fear of bringing out any kind of allegations that a, a, a woman or or even a, a a victim that it would do damage or satanic damage. Look, friends, the satanic damage was done when the person misused their pastoral authority Preach. to harm someone else, right? I mean, that's that's straight out of Jeremiah 23. I mean, I, oh. you, know, you know, that is... Woe to the uh, false shepherds who devour the sheep. Ezekiel 13, same thing, man. Yeah, you destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Mm. I mean, that to hear that from God, a false shepherd, it is not the victim that should be cowering. It should be that pastor or that um, or that false shepherd that created this, used they spiritually abused their authority to 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 gratify their own desires. That's that's terrible. And yet, for someone to for someone to be called out wrongly for saying hey this is happening and we need to address it now they may they, all their ideas may not necessarily be totally right or there might be some discussion on on various ideas yeah and and you do have to vet claims of abuse right the the whole believe all women thing women are humans and humans have deceptive hearts and sometimes humans lie so you do have to vet these things right but, but the point is you vet them exactly exactly you have to bring those things you you bring them to light you don't necessarily have to broadcast it on the church bulletin or whatever but but you're thoroughly working through okay we have an allegation of abuse let's work through it you remember Sean and Gus from from psych 
He's like, when I vet, I vet until there's no vetting left to vet. And that's and that's not a bad idea. So we got to handle dig it. Dig until I hit a wall. And it's tricky too because like as as pastors or you know whatever the position is, it's like our job is not to um, not to become you know full time sexual abuse responders. That's a huge part of it. But you know, it's some people would be happy to have us just take all of our time in protecting people from abuse. Well, the, the easiest way to protect people from abuse in the church is to uh, shut down the church and not do the thing. But then you got a problem of the whole world gets, you know, turned over to Satan because the church is the one institution that's holding that back. And so when wolves wiggle their way in there, then the temptation is, hey, only deal with the wolf. And it's like, well, at some point you got to tend the sheep also, right? So I understand that this can't be a full-time job of, you know, a, a pastor is not a professional investigator and this can't be a full-time job. However, when there's a wave of something and you don't respond to the wave, then you're not doing ministry in your context. Martin Luther talked about this a lot. He said, if you're not pl- applying the gospel to the issues of the day, you're not preaching, right? Now you can go too far with that, obviously, but there's a time to say, all right, pastors, we got to learn some stuff. We got to get good at some stuff in this world that we weren't good at a while ago. It's, you know, no problem doing it with social media. How many pastors hate Facebook because of all the problems it causes, and yet Ugh. we use it as a communication tool because yeah. that's the world we live in. And so we can't hide behind, you know, um, behind those excuses of like, hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I signed on for. Yeah, it kind of is. You got to feed the sheep. You got to shoot the wolves, which leads me to the next thing because I feel like we could rant about this all day because we get fired up. Actually, okay. hold on. Sidetrack, sidebar. Um, the reason, guys, that you hear me and Ben getting fired up and talking entirely too fast. By the way, there is, it, there's a low likelihood that um, that you're playing your podcast on one and a half times speed. This is really how fast we're talking right now because we're fired up. And the reason for that is because we love our neighbors and we love the church and the bride is beautiful. And what we're talking about here is Satan having made progress in tarnishing the bride of Christ. And so, yeah, that's, that's worth getting, you know, it's worth going in on. Yeah, but... Man. The question then, maybe to take this in a productive direction, uh, lest we fall off a cliff and just start screaming um, incoherently, what does justice look like? I mean, so we got a couple of different levels, right? We got justice for the victims, probably the most important part. And then what do things look like? And, and is it even possible to set things right institutionally? So the victims first, what do the, in, in the situation as it is, what do the victims deserve? Now, they deserve for something different to have happened up to this point, but we can't change the past. So in a, in a response role, what do the victims deserve? I'll just throw out the first one here. I think they deserve for this report to be made public by the Southern Baptists, right? So that's a really, really good step. That doesn't fix problems. It doesn't erase the past. It's, it's not any kind of uh, reparation mechanism or anything like that, but it's a non-negotiable foundational point. We need to make this stuff public, and we did, which is good. Yeah, I think definitely a, uh, you know, an acknowledgement from, uh, I don't know if it's a personal acknowledgement, phone call, whatever, from from people in leadership saying, you were right, we were wrong. Honestly. Yeah. I think a, a and, and not just some kind of card or email or something like that, but somebody- a form letter. Listen, speaking to their ears, hearing, you know, I, I think that, that those in the SPC leadership, regardless of whether or not they were part of the cover-up or not, calling and saying, I want you to know you were right, 
we were wrong in how we handled this. And oftentimes it's more meaningful when that's not done publicly because then you don't have all the spin and the optics yeah. of it. And it's just like, I mean, there are certain public things that, that need to happen, but you know, to, to go and make things right in a Matthew five sense of like, look, leave your gift at the altar, go straighten some stuff out Agreed. first, man, have a conversation. Yes. And that, that really is so healing for somebody who's been, you know, torn apart. Even if the apology doesn't come from, you know, Augie Bodo and come from that, uh, who's that lawyer, uh, oh. whose name I, Never figured out how to pronounce because I just skipped over it every time. Anyway, the apology doesn't come from those guys. Maybe from the guys that occupy their new positions once they're, you know, out, which so many resignations have happened. They're already out. But, um, you know, that's, yeah. So that acknowledgement is a good start. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that there is a legitimate case for caring for these people who are victims. In other words, finding whether it's, you know, trauma care something like that where where we where there is either some follow up either through connections with our local church or some kind of we we want to help care for you. Yeah, and the SPC has the best resources in the world for this stuff because we take care of missionaries who volunteer for the, for various kinds of trauma just for the mission. And so all of these things are readily available. So to make sure that that happens would be easy. Yeah, and 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 again this is I think if anything it's like we need to do this fearlessly without I want to say this it's it, carefully, but without concern for what it might ha- what might be brought to light in a civil action. Darn right. You know, it, it's it, you know what we're going to do this if, if it looks like we're admitting guilt. Yeah, and if know, it costs a whole bunch of money in lawsuits, you know what? Maybe it should. Yeah, and 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 to be and to be honest, it would not be the fault of the victim, and it would not be the fault maybe necessarily of the new leadership. It's a fault of these guys who could not who could not see beyond numbers or were too afraid of some kind of litigious thing, or they were just part of the good old boys club that wanted to protect these folks. That's if, if I had my switching to maybe the, the, the other side of the coin, what's justice for the, for those who were the perpetrators. That's where I would see this stuff come from real quick before we get to that. Cause that's important. Um, I would also say that I'm, I'm not clear after reading this report, I'm not clear on if all of the investigations have actually taken place. So, this, this report reveals the cover-ups, but there may still be a lot of loose ends as far as women that have made claims. And we know now enough to know that the claims are at least credible and have been you know shuffled under a rug or in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. But some of them may still be true. Some of them may still be false. And I feel like that information needs to come to light so that if you know, so that the abusers actually do get held accountable yeah. on an individual basis. Yeah. So maybe even maybe even saying, okay, guidepost. Now what we're going to do is we're going to give you carte blanche. Yeah. Run the thing. Bring everything to light. Yep. Let's do it. I mean, Houston Chronicle did a great service to the SBC. Some people didn't like it, but not only were there yeah. actions of cover up, but there were churches and 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 uh, and I was a part of one of these churches that had an allegation. And to my knowledge, as I watched this situation, the church desired to do what was right yeah. in that. And and that is a hard balance. Because again, you're dealing with folks that have families and have destroyed their families, and you're trying to care for their families as in the middle of of of, of other things that were going on. There is a there is a crazy amount of I, I've I've said it's not like walking a tightrope; it's like walking a slack line on a windy day across the Grand Canyon. Yeah, and micro rant here for a second: Christians are not the people that are afraid of the truth. Exactly. Right? Handle the truth. Get it out there and we'll deal with it. We are yeah. the truth people, right? Yeah. Jesus is the way, the what? Truth. And the life. Let's yeah. go make this happen, guys. Why why that's the thing. Like one of the one of the 
fundamental breakdowns of this whole thing is that people were there were certain people who were afraid of the truth coming out. That is not a Christian attitude. No. Right? Now, I understand some things are confidential. Sometimes you have to protect people's information for the sake of their reputation and their well-being and things like that. We're not talking about confidentiality. We're talking about a denial of the truth and of the fact. We are not the people who are afraid of the truth. So, all right, on, on the institutional level then, um, I mean, we talk about disbanding the good old boys network. Honestly... I don't know a way to do that because people are always going to form friend uh, friendships and in you know in the halls of power, so to speak, you're going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with the same group of people at various times. But I think term limits might be helpful on some of this stuff, Certainly. right? I mean, the presidents have term limits. They get elected for, what, a two-year term? It's structured really weird. It's a one-year term that's usually repeated once and then they're out or something. But basically, a president gets two years, right? So they got term limits. Why, why was... You know, why was the legal counsel in there not questioned since 1966? Why was Aggie Bodo there long enough to to cause all of these problems and to facilitate them? So, you know, yeah, disbanding the good old boys network might be one thing to take a look at. Well, and, and I, I, I would go back to extreme, extreme transparency on on everything. I think that's that's something where I, it, this is these are the calls that we took in. Right. And and these are the these are the these are the things that were being developed. If you have to redact because to protect the victim or to or if you've got an ongoing police investigation or whatever, I get it. I'm not yeah, saying the only reports or the yeah. emails that were redacted in that. Uh, the only emails that were redacted in that report were sometimes where it would show an email from somebody and it would it was redacted as to who it was sent to because that was not the point of the investigation it was to show the guilt on the part of the person sending the email so i'm fine with that type of stuff right you don't drag people into it that don't need to be dragged into it yeah the peanut gallery does not need to know all the various sort of details of well that. put but and but we need to have transparency when it comes to these kinds of things um to to have transparent or at least having an open conversation with those that are responsible, like the trustees and the executive committee. Sure, they get confidential information, but they all should get the confidential information. They shouldn't be sitting there going, wait a minute, this got settled? You know, or or we say, I mean, one of the things that just frustrated the heck out of me is that you hear it's at least twice where where these lawyers successfully defended a church they they called it that they successfully defended a church against some kind of large large financial payout. How about Paige Patterson emailing oh. people about how he was going to take a, a, a this gal that claimed that she was abused? He was going to have a conversation with her and quote break her down. I mean that that, that is unconscionable, unconscionable. Not to mention opinion. unbiblical. Exactly. Yeah. And and for uh, for for others to 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 protect that needs to stop. And and I'm hoping. That that this will present, and by the way, you get me. You're going to hear me get heated here, and I probably already have. I am not angry at you, dear listener, and I hope that you are. We love you. We love you very much. But I think that that is something that needs to come out of this extreme transparency, both fiscally. I want to know, okay, why are we paying? You know, whatever that that lawyer group, why are we paying them so much money? What's and going where's on that ten percent of the budget that they didn't disclose last year in Nashville? L- yes, exactly. I want to know that. So now I got a real quandary here, Ben, because the. I got I got books that are really good books, and it, they're those books where different people wrote different chapters. Yep. And some of these guys wrote chapters in those books. Well, what the heck now? Paige Patterson wrote a really good chapter in the Theology for the Church, which was kind of the Broadman and Holman back in those days, the Broadman and Holman systematic theology. And 
It was a really good book, and he wrote a really good chapter. Well, now I, I feel like taking a scalpel to my book. So I got to figure out just what to do on a personal level yeah. with my library. So you guys can pray for me as I make those decisions. Well, and I think again, as we as we teach and as we as we think about these things, we we do need to understand the the, the messenger, right? Then the, then the times in which we are in, and we go, okay, mm, it would would be best to quote this person, or maybe I should find another person. You know, I that's that's where I would go. But yeah, again, that's just do. me. So there's. There's a question that I've gotten from people at various times, and I got this last year before we went down to Nashville too. Like, yeah, why are we still participating in this system, right? Like, at what point do you just bail out of the SBC? If like, who needs the drama? And by the way, I sympathize with that. Who needs the drama? This is all unwelcome. It is not fair that this gets foisted upon local churches because dudes can't, you know, like because grown men can't govern themselves on the other side of Jeez. the country. It's not okay, but. I want to I want to just address that because I know it's a common question. Agreed. Why don't we just pull up stakes and say you guys can burn yourselves to the ground. We're going to go over here and do some ministry. And honestly, there's a time for that. And we may approach the the time for that. That was an open question in our minds last year. One of the reasons that we spent the money going to Nashville was to see, okay, how far has this godless ideology spread? Because if it's endemic at this point, and that is what the, the SBC has become, or it's inevitable that it is becoming, then we're gone. We're toast. We'll start giving our missions money to somewhere else. And if, you know, if this turns out a certain way and the appropriate heads don't professionally roll and things like that, then, you know, it, there's a there's a possible outcome that's the same where we just ditch the SBC. We're an autonomous church, right? We don't need them. They need us. Do we gain benefit from them? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a network and, and things that that we do draw on, but it's not like we're getting any money from them or, you know, it's not like we need their permission to do ministry. So that could happen. Here's the thing, though, guys. The question is, what's what's the Great Commission? And is our participation with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention conducive to that mission? And is it compromising our integrity in in accomplishing the mission? So we will take a hit in our effectiveness if necessary. Now, I don't know that leaving the SBC would be a hit in our effectiveness. But if it was, we would do that in order to maintain integrity. No problem. We'd be fine. Um, So can we participate with integrity, which is why we talk about stage one cancer versus stage four cancer, right? Is it... Are there problems here to solve, or is this thing the the United Methodist Church, and it's just toast? It's it's gone, right? Um, and so there's that, and then there's also the issue of missionaries on the field. You know, we got missionaries in closed countries. We've got missionaries that are being supported by the International Mission Board, a hundred percent. Which you know, you've said before, Ben. They don't have to come home and do fundraising now because the IMB is is set up well and is taking care of them. That's great. And the IMB is a great organization. And from everything I'm seeing. Amen. Well run, you know, and they're and they're getting it done. The the um, ideological problems in the SBC have not made it into the training for the missionaries, as far as I've been able to tell. And so, you know, we want to support these guys. And I got to tell you, when you when you go and meet these guys, and you you see the conditions that they're operating in, in some of the, the spiritually the darkest and hardest places in the world, these guys are working tough, tough soil. It takes a it it, it takes a lot to say we shouldn't support that anymore because nobody else is doing what the IMB is doing on the scale that they're doing it with that level of quality. There are a lot of guys doing really good work, but the IMB is accomplishing so much of it that it's like, this is a really great vehicle for Habakkuk 2.14 happening where the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth as the water covers the sea. There's the waters cover the sea. And that's, it's worth putting up with a lot of BS back home in order to take care of our boys on the field. So we're not going to be too quick to yank up stakes because those guys need us. And at a certain point, if it's an integrity issue, then 
that might just be the collateral damage, and that would be tragic to say, okay, we can't support our missionaries anymore. And I'm, you know, I get the same question: can't we just support missionaries directly? Well, yeah, but there's too many of them. You know, like you'd have to just pick one, and one church could maybe support half a missionary or something like that. You pull all those SBC resources, and now you got you got a machine that can actually function. So it, it really is. Uh, uh, there are some serious considerations here where it would be tempting, and, and maybe from an immature standpoint. And look, I'm a young pastor. There's there's nothing I enjoy more than than ranting and burning things to the ground. Right? It's kind of it's kind of what we do. But there's um there are a lot of considerations here that that say okay, act with wisdom and prudence, and picture your 70 year old self looking back and saying, you know, am I am I proud of what I did back then? And you just got to see things from that perspective. So it's it's a process. Yeah, and 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 both speaking as a as a former missions minister at another church. The, the the ability for a missionary to come off the field and not either not not labor every weekend to try and gain more support because they've lost so much support that's huge that's huge on their psyche that's huge on their rest they need rest when they come off and I've seen way too many missionaries spend all like two or three weeks or all of their their time away working to try and raise funds instead of resting and getting time with their families, maybe walking through their families through some difficult trauma that's happened on the field. All that a lot. I mean, you think about missionary kids, they don't, they don't ever get to hear their native language. That's hard. That messes with your head. And to have structures like the IMB who actually care about that, that is important. So I would, I would, that's, that's where I would, I would really be hesitant if there was some other way, and we maybe have to look for those other ways if we're sick and tired of financing the executive committee or something like that and what they're doing. You know what I did one time? This was, Actually, this was last year uh, before Nashville. I was thinking, all right, because we didn't know how bad it was. We were going to go yeah. and find out, whatever. So I was like, okay, if we need to bail from the SBC, are there, is there another denomination? Because we could just go and be, hey, non-denominational church, we're just out here on our own, and that can be fine, right? But a lot of times it's like, yeah, but when you're talking about mission work and things like that, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So yeah. partnerships are good. So what else is going on out there? I found very little, precious little, as far as denominations that we would be willing to partner with. And it's not just because we're doctrinally cranky. You know, sometimes we can be, you and me, because we take our Bible really seriously, and apparently not everybody does. But um, like there's... There was the uh, the the Evangelical Free Church. They're doing good stuff, and they they've got doctrinal integrity, and we would have unity with them. Okay, that's a in the words of the great theologian Austin Powers. That's about it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I found a denomination that was it, it's the Moravians, and I got so excited because I was like, the Moravians are still around. They're still doing a thing. By the way, if you don't know the Moravians, seventeen hundreds, you got the guys, uh, one of the guys with the coolest name ever. <laughs> Count von Zinzendorf, right? I mean, how could you not go right with a name like Count von Zinzendorf? Nice. Anyway, they were in Bohemia and they formed a missionary society and they were kind of the um, the the pioneers of the modern missions movement and methodology and so on. William Carey sort of harkened back to them as far as, you know, um, you know so did Hudson Taylor as far as uh, their methodology for doing missions. So the Moravians was the mission society that really shaped how we do mission work. And so I, I love those guys in the history. So when I found out, I was like, oh, there's a Moravian denomination. And so I went and looked at it. 
all their founding documents look okay, you know, things like that. And then I listened to their sermon from their, their, their annual sermon at their annual convention. And it was a tire fire. It was abominable. I was like, is there a, is there a Bible anywhere in that building? And so it was, it was, it was a whole social justice thing. Yeah. So I was really sad. So the point that I'm getting at here, Ben, is that if we, and now we're just brainstorming live on mic, all right? I don't know where this is going to go. If we do need to pull up stakes and bounce from the SBC, I vote that we form a new denomination. We call it the New Moravians, all right? And we just focus on, you know, the Great Commission, mission work, you know, in, in the home, in the church, and then in the whole world as we have opportunity. Huh? What do you think? Are we starting this right now? Uh, can, can I take a few minutes to think about it? No, we don't edit this thing. <laughs> I, this is how we make decisions of grace and truth. Dude, grab a coin. We're going to flip it. Oh, and we're going to find out if we let's not let's not flip it yet. I want to hear here. Here's I, I'm not against the idea. All right. But what I would a flipping a coin now flip not flipping a coin about about getting into. Sorry, I totally dismissed you. Right. Proverbs now, you know? Proverbs says, right, that the, the die is cast, but it's oh, every tumble gosh. is from the Lord. Don't you believe in sovereignty? OK. Yes, but I think we're a little off topic here. Okay, so I, I, I don't disagree with the idea of maybe forming a local organization or trying to find partners with which we can do missionary work. I think that's legitimate. Um, the where, where I would like to see is I'd like to see how does the SBC, how, what, how do things go in Anaheim? Is there a proverbial flipping over of all the tables? Is there a clear, like what we saw in Nashville, is there a clear statement no, you need to do this now. Well, and I'll then tell you what, what I'm going to be looking out for is yeah. I'm going to be looking out for the the spin, the politic mm-hmm. speak, and the CYA language. Exactly. Because that, that's going to happen. There's going to be publicly crafted statements and so on. And, and you know, that's, that's fine. You, you got to do some of that um, because you have to pick your words carefully. But if the whole thing is basically a pep rally, which, by the way, is what a lot of what happened last year. We went down there and Ronnie Floyd gets up there and is pitching Vision 2025. And we, we were a day and a half into the thing. And I looked over to Steve. I was like, do you have any idea what Vision 2025 is? And he was like, no, we're seeing it on banners everywhere and they keep saying it, but nobody's defined it. And it turns out it was nothing. It was it was just a bunch of SBC buzzwords to try and rally people around, you know, and, and get people to not, get churches to not leave because of the critical race theory issue. So it was, you know, that, that's when I lost respect for Ronnie Floyd was when I saw him live in person. And I was like, I don't know what he's covering up for, but there is no substance here. Well, now we know what he was covering up for. So I'm going to be really sensitive to that. I want to see, you know, however well crafted the statements are and stuff i'm looking for substance agreed right i'm not looking for um survival mode i'm looking for repentance and and things like that yeah i've heard i've heard from other um from other corners that uh you know a time of lament like let's ditch the let's ditch the pep rally and the and the and the amazing you know worship teams and stuff like that how about we just how about we just sit and and we cry out to god and we and we just pray yeah and that would have to be led really really skillfully so that it doesn't become penance right agree like okay we have done bad now we have to feel appropriately bad so that we can even the scales again because that's that's what other christian denominations have tried to do with past social injustices that the church has participated in and that winds up just being anti-gospel nonsense because there's no there's no um forgiveness at the end of that yeah totally and then and then really a, a lot of the adoption just whole not wholesale necessarily adoption of everything that came out of this report but like some of these things like even just saying no churches to be in good fellowship with sbc no no non-disclosure agreements 
Sorry, nice. doesn't happen, right? And 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 I think honestly, and and this is just again, this is me ranting just for a second. I think that our idea of background checks is woefully inadequate. I've had I've had look, a police officer gets a better background check than a pastor. I don't know if that's necessarily the best. I mean, yes, you want to make sure you have wonderful integrity issues with the people who are you know using the sword to protect us. But I think just in the same way, churches should be committed to that kind of level of background checks versus just having somebody having their social security number scanned through some kind of database to see if they haven't committed a crime. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have that's I'm, step one. Yeah, I that's, that, literally. I think I think it's a better idea to have somebody look interview his past friends, and you know what? Interview people that don't like him. Yeah, and our, find, our background check on you yeah. when we brought you on board was so thorough that I actually knew the thoughts you were going to be thinking in five minutes. That's awesome. It was actually a little scary. I'm terrified of what's inside your head. I just want you to know that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's that's the kind of report. And honestly, anybody who wants to come and shepherd people needs to go, look, here are all the skeletons in my proverbial closet. These are the sins that I struggle with. These are the, look, I, I will open up the gates. You can look at my internet history and all that kind of jazz. Let's do this. Because I want to be, I want to be able to minister with integrity, and not trying to hide anything, yeah. and and you know, and that's why we have to do a better job. I think that we have to do a better job when it comes to that. I'm thankful that you guys did that thorough background check on me. Um, I think that I think that needs to be standard practice. Yeah, one of the things that we did was um, we we asked your wife some questions, and then it, it was we weren't even worried about her answers. Right, we were looking at her body language when we were on that zoom call and then when we were oh, with yeah. you because it was like are there distress signals here are there cover-up signals and things like that and so that that tells you a lot and there have been times where in interviews we're like okay i want to talk to the wife and we see things there where it's like dude is not handling business at home we're, we're out you know and all of his answers were fine so yeah you got it you got to go deeper than this stuff such as call the last church and find out if he molested a child right why Might did he leave or even for churches, and and this is where I would say churches need to be able to freely give this information out, and not be afraid of some kind of uh, of, of legal litigation because so and so maybe wasn't convicted of that. It, yeah, and and clergy has really helpful, at least in in this state. I know in California it's a little bit different. You got to you got to choose your verbiage more carefully. But um, we've got the ability to communicate about this stuff in ways that you know the state still at this point recognizes that that's our 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 job that, that is our responsibility. So like one thing we'll do is um, the, the pastors in network here locally, if somebody comes to our church from another church, we'll call each other up and say, um, you know, like if, if somebody leaves grace and truth on bad terms and goes over to Kennewick Baptist. Okay. I'll call up the other Dustin and I'll say, Hey, um, I'm, I, I'm not here to give anybody's information, but I will answer any questions you have. And I would recommend that you ask me questions on this subject. And then I'll just hang up the phone and I'll take a phone call whenever, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff has to happen. Yeah. I think that you know, we have to be better. And I think uh, in a lot of ways we, that the, the one thing that, that, that came on and just struck in this report was two things. First of all, we, we sacrificed victims on the altar of an organization. That's really important wording, right? Because you, you and I talk about that a lot and the, the pastors here do behind closed doors. Like, are we sacrificing people on the altar of the organization? And what we usually mean by that is, are we too busy for people? Are we too busy, you know, maintaining structures and, and keeping up systems so that when somebody walks in, we don't have time to talk to them. Right. Um, and that's, that's what we normally mean by it. But in this case, you're saying that was people were sacrificed on the altar of an organization, not for, not to bear an administrative load that had gotten a little bit out of whack, but instead to, 
to continue an unbiblical pattern of practice in rebellion to the commands of Christ at the expense of the sheep. Yeah. And I think the other thing was this hiding behind this idea of the autonomous church. I get it. I get. I, I absolutely believe in the autonomy of the local church. I, I love the way that's set up. But I, that 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 there there has to be a way that we that and I and I think it's I think it's doable. I think it's even in the principles of of in, in the article in the articles of incorporation of the SBC. I think you can do this with uh, in 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 some way of protecting other local congregations against something like what we saw where guys would just travel from church to church to church to church from state to state to state getting their hands on little kids or whatever and nothing happening yeah you just make it voluntary it's easy yeah. <laughs> like one word voluntary yeah it's piece of cake right churches and, can voluntarily say hey this person left there was a, there were credible allegations of abuse you can even say not you know you you can say to our knowledge you know, blah, 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 it didn't happen legally or whatever, but you still can say that. Yeah. And then churches can voluntarily check that, and they yeah. should. Yeah, and then if, if a church decides not to participate in and not to register with that thing, then that would be known. Like, oh, they're not on this. I wonder why. Or maybe this church isn't doing their job, and we shouldn't be, you know, looking at uh, the pastor that was leading it for the last 10 years or something like that. Like, that's that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. And some of the things I thought that were good that came out of this, and it came out of the 2017 report that uh, Houston Chronicle did, is a lot of even understanding, okay, pastors, and 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 you know, you need to know what it looks like to be groomed by somebody who is a predator. In other words, somebody who's coming up alongside you, saying all the right things, encouraging you, all that kind of stuff. That actually can be grooming so that they can get access. And I think that's one of the things the SBC actually brought out, which was helpful to protect the church against folks that would do that. Yeah, it was really good training that, that they put out. I, I really appreciated that and the speed with which they did it. Like one of the things I learned there, they they uh, they interviewed. I think this was from that resource. They interviewed a guy in prison that was a predator, right? And he was talking about how he would go and um, find, uh, like, he would find victims at the mall. He would go up and talk to a girl at the mall and say, "You've got pretty eyes." And if she said thank you, then he was out. She was not a she was not a target. If she said no, I don't, then he knows that there's insecurities there. She's got daddy issues, and he can provide something for her that no no other man has provided in a healthy way. And he's he's going to go. So you see these little things like that. I mean, what what pastor doesn't need to know that type of thing? We see this stuff happening in the counseling room right in front of us, and we need to be able to call it out. Yeah. You know. So anyway, all right. I was going to mention one Hit thing. It. If you if you again, this is a this is this is a pastoral note to those of you who are parents. For example, like Grace and Truth, and your kids are involved in our children's ministry, or or you're a, you're coming and and you're being counseled by you know a pastor or something like that. Understand that your church is actually we have developed set, uh, areas of accountability that protect us from from these kinds of things. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, there's always problems in every other system, but I want you to know that we take it very seriously here at Grace and Truth. Where two, two people in the room as teachers and so on. Exactly. And, yeah. and then, and then you know, making sure that there's, you know, making sure that, that you know, that, that folks who are involved and that they, they're a member, they've been vetted, they're, have, there has been a background check that has been done. There's a lot of good questions. Are there areas that probably we could improve? I have no clue. I, yeah, well, I, but, but we're I always think tightening it, up screws as we go. Yeah. But in the same sense is is that you know we take this seriously it's so much seriously that we you know gosh we're, we want you to know that we take it seriously yeah and the reason we do that is because the world is a messed up place ben can i get an amen amen but i also say the church is also a messed up place oh oh let's go let's go look the church is a uh uh what, what's the old saying the church is a spiritual hospital and sick people show symptoms now problem is every now and then it turns into a quentin tarantino movie and you get a murderer wandering around the hospital injecting people with poison and so sometimes you know Sometimes you got to handle business. Yeah. So the church 
is full of messed up people. Can I get an amen, Ben? Amen. But we have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. All right, guys, f- uh, feel free to fire away questions. We are your pastors. We're here for this kind of stuff. And uh, we probably won't rant with you as much on the phone as we did with each other just now. But uh, now you know where we're at, and we're happy to, to take it from there, and we'll let you know what happens in Anaheim. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.